Please open your Bibles to John chapter 11. The last time we were together, we finished up with chapter 10, and we also uh, looked at the first three verses of chapter 11. But before moving on in our study today, just so we can stay with the context of the chapter here, I'd uh, like for us to just go back and review those first three verses of John chapter 11. So hopefully you have your Bibles in front of you and you've got them open there to John chapter 11 and we'll begin in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, like I mentioned the last time, uh, we'll look at that story of how Mary anointed Jesus' feet when we get to chapter 12. But chapter 11 here starts out discussing the sickness of Lazarus. Jesus had a close and a personal relationship with this family, and especially with Lazarus. And we discussed last week that There are three different words used in the Bible for the word love in the New Testament. And the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek language has uh, about four words, I believe, used to describe what love is. But one of those words is the word storhe. And that's the kind of love um, that people would express when speaking about a little puppy. Um, But then there's the word eros. Um, which is a sexual kind of love. There's phileo, and that's where we get our word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. Phileo expresses brotherly love. Um, But the love that is above all loves is God's agape love. It is an unconditional love. And it's the kind of love that expects nothing in return when you give it out. That is the kind of love that God demonstrated to us by becoming a man and dying on the cross to offer unconditional forgiveness to us. And here in verse 3, the word used for love is the Greek word phileo. Jesus was God, and he was here showing the world agape, unconditional love, but he was also a man. And he made friendships with people and had brotherly love for people. Today, with the power of God in us through Jesus Christ, we have the ability to offer the world both phileo and agape love. You see, when you reach out to someone like, let's say, a homeless person, or you see a person with with some form of a need, and you help them, You are showing them agape love because you will receive nothing in return. But the neat thing is this. Agape love and phileo love, when in the heart of a follower of Jesus, go hand in hand. You see, this is what Jesus demonstrates in this chapter. If you see a person that is downtrodden, uh, brokenhearted in some, or in some kind of despair, and you comfort them with phileo or brotherly love, you can also at that time tell them of the greatest love of all, a love that will never fail them, and that is God's love for them. 
Jesus displayed both brotherly love and unconditional love, and we as his followers have the ability to do the same thing with his power at work within us. Okay. Now, if you uh, didn't listen to the previous study, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that one first before going through uh, this entire study here. But um, let's go ahead and continue on in our study now of chapter 11 when picking it up in verse 4. It says, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, with this statement, Jesus was demonstrating his power and authority because he was prophetically telling them that they were going to see a work of God take place and that there was a purpose for this sickness of Lazarus. Now, verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, the amazing thing here is that the word love in verse 5 is the word agape or agapeo. In verse 3, it says, Lord, behold, he, uh, he whom you phileo is sick. Then verse 5 says, Jesus agapeo Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You see, Jesus unconditionally loved them. You see, between you and me, our phileo or our brotherly love can run short at times. But the love of Jesus is unconditional and unchanging. Nothing you have done has made you deserving of God's love. And there is nothing you have done to disqualify yourself from God's love. That's a very important truth right there. And I want to repeat it. Nothing you have done has made you deserving of God's love. And there is nothing you have done to disqualify yourself from receiving God's love. Every sin can be washed away as a result of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you may have heard this before. Uh, this, this didn't originate with me. But when Jesus died on the cross, he bled in seven places. There was blood pouring down from his head, right? And that blood was the result of the crown of thorns that they put on, on him. But this can symbolize for you and me a cleansing from our ugly thoughts. We've all had disgusting thoughts, right? Thoughts that we wish we wouldn't think, but the blood of Jesus covers that. And the blood also ran down and covered his face. And there are things that you and me just don't want to face up to. We've seen things and we've heard things we should not have, and it's tough to face those facts. But his blood covers it. Maybe you've backpedaled from the Lord or even turned your back on the Lord. Well, they beat the back of Jesus that day. It was horrifically ripped open. And his blood covers your sin of turning your back on him. And he bled from his hands because they pierced him there. 
And the blood from his hands covers the sins you've committed with your hands, the things you've touched that you should not have touched, and the things you've done that you should not have done. He bled from his side when they thrusted a spear into him. And this opened him up, and all that was within him gushed out. His blood covers the bitterness you hold inside and the hurt that you hold inside as well. He bled from his feet because they put spikes in him and they pinned his feet together. And you know, maybe you've walked where you should not have walked in this life. Maybe you have been on the wrong paths. Well, his blood covers that too. He bled from each foot. He bled from each hand. He bled from his head, his side, and his back. There is no sin that his blood does not cover. That's just a a wonderful way of looking at that truth. You see, Jesus loves you. And, And Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, the Bible says. It's not about getting right in coming to God. It's not about, I talked recently with a young man who says he doesn't go to church because he's not ready for it. And I said, well, what is it that would make you ready? And he says, well, I got to stop drinking. I got to stop partying. I got to stop doing this and that, he said. And I said, there's nothing you're ever going to do to make you ready. Now, it it may be a fact that when you walk into churches, people look at you funny. It's unfortunate that people judge people by the outward. But that's not the way Jesus looks at you. Jesus looks at us with agape love, unconditional love. And he offers forgiveness for the sin of the world. And he offers it to whosoever will, whosoever will believe in him. He offers that that forgiveness and that agape love. So here we see that he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and he loves us the same way today, both with brotherly love and with the greatest love of all, which is his unconditional love, that led him to shed his blood for the remission of our sins. Now, back to our story here in verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, when you read that, you can automatically stop and say, say what? What kind of love is that? Let's remember, though, he is a man, but he is also God. He knows what he is doing here. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So he spent two more days where he was, and then he told them, let's move on. Verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? So the boys here with Jesus say, wait a minute, Lord. Are you forgetting that they've tried to stone you a couple of times already? Why are we going back there? But we remember here, Jesus is on a mission. He's on a a divine time schedule. And no one is going to harm him until he permits them to. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, all throughout the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that that Jesus speaks to his disciples in a very unique way. He speaks to them in a very simplistic way. He often spoke to them in, in what is called parables, which means he did a lot of storytelling and used a lot of analogies to teach them about spiritual things. And here Jesus, in those verses 9 and 10 there, is doing that very thing. The disciples were kind of warning Jesus not to go back into Judea again. They see things very differently than Jesus sees things. You see, our decisions as human beings will be the result of a couple of things. We can make our decisions based on our experiences, like the disciples are doing here. They're using their physical eyes and their ears and human logic to determine their future path. We can do the same thing in this life, or we can make our decisions based on a combination of human experiences and seeking the will of the Lord in prayer. Verses 8, 9, and 10 here demonstrate two very different ways of looking at things. The disciples are looking at this decision to go back to Judea from the standpoint of past experiences. The leaders of that day were out to get Jesus, and they wanted to put a stop to his work, and the disciples didn't think it was a, a good idea to head back there. Jesus, however, knows the future. He knows why he came, and he knows his destiny. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus gives an illustration of the fact that his time is short. He's got work to do. And he is the light of the world and nothing is going to trip him up or stop him from accomplishing the things that he came to this earth to accomplish. And you know, as followers of Jesus, when we place our lives into the hands of Jesus Christ as, as our Lord and Savior, we only have a short time to shine his light to the world around us. And, and we continue to walk in the light of Jesus when we stay abiding in his word. We, we stay focused on him. We, we call out to him in prayer. We make him the top priority of our lives. John chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, I believe it is. Um, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I encourage you to read that chapter. But, but God has a purpose, a plan, and a will for each one of us. He just wants our lives surrendered to him. He just wants us to surrender our will to his will. He is the light of the world. And if we walk in him, we will not stumble. We must avoid the darkness of this world and continue in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ by staying plugged into his word, by going out and showing phileo love, brotherly love, by showing agape love, unconditional love. These are some of the ways that we remain in the light. You see, the apostle John is the one that the Holy Spirit used to write this gospel that we are studying. 
But John also wrote a few other books, and and I'd like us to, to turn toward the back of your Bible, and let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 1. You're going to find um, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John all together, and we're going to be looking at 1 John. So I'll give you just a few seconds to go ahead and get there in your Bibles. First John chapter 1, and we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1, okay? It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So John is making it known here in verse 1, that he and many others have seen, heard, and touched Jesus. And he calls Jesus here the word of life. And he goes on to say in verse 2, the life was manifested. That word manifested means to appear or make an appearance. So the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So here we see very clearly where Jesus came from. He was with the Father in heaven and was manifested or made an appearance here to us here on this earth. He is life eternal. His life never ended. He passed from death to eternal life because he is eternal life. You and me, as a result of his death, burial, and resurrection, now have the same hope of eternal life. Christ in us, our hope, because when you are born again, you now have that eternal life that is Jesus Christ residing within you. That's why Jesus Christ is our hope of eternal life, okay? And verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is saying here, hey, you want to know what we know? You can have fellowship with God Because of Jesus. And what is the reason that this is written to you and me today? Verse 4 And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You see, as we walk through this world, There is darkness here. It is a spiritual darkness that desires to keep us from the knowledge of the light, the knowledge of the word of life, the knowledge of Jesus Christ himself. And and that darkness desires to keep us from knowing his will for our lives. But our joy is made full when our lives are founded upon and rooted and grounded in the word of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him 
and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. You see, we need Jesus. We need His Word, because otherwise we walk in darkness and we stumble through this life. We're all sinners that needed a Savior. The Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, we need Him to lead and guide us through this life here on this earth. And turning back now to John chapter 11, Jesus is pointing out again to His disciples that he came here for a purpose. He's got, he's got a plan. So he spent a couple of more days in the area where they were. And then verse 11, so John, back in John chapter 11, verse 11, it says, these things he said. And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. So, you see, not unlike you and me, these disciples just didn't get it from time to time. They're probably thinking, why would we put our lives in danger by going back to this place where they want to stone you, Jesus, if Lazarus is sleeping? He'll get better. He'll wake up sooner or later. But you know, sometimes we just don't get it, do we? Our Lord, even in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, He puts us in situations that to our logical mind does not make any sense at all. I know I've been through, in my 24 years of walking with the Lord, I've been through many times like that. Why did that happen? That doesn't make any sense at all. Why do those people who say they're Christians, why do they behave that way? Why do they do this or why do they do that? But God's plan is greater than our comprehension. Our thoughts are not His thoughts, Isaiah says. Our ways are not His ways. His ways are much higher than ours. That's why we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, if I try and walk with my own understanding and just the things my logical mind understands, I'm never going to comprehend a whole lot in this life. There's a whole lot I just don't understand. But there's, you know, there's an old hymn and, and it says, Many things about tomorrow that I will not understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. And that's where Jesus wants us, trusting in Him and allowing Him as the Good Shepherd that He is to hold our hand and lead us through this life. Then Jesus said to them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him.
You see, these disciples, like you and me, uh, need their faith to be tested, that they may increase their faith. Jesus will shortly leave them, and they need to experience as much of his works as they can, so that when the times of persecution that will lie ahead for these disciples, when those times of persecution come, they, they would have the strength that they would need to get through it. And you see, it's no different for us today. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? Because he has overcome the world. Here again, it's not looking to our own strength, it's looking to him. Today, our trials are tests of our faith. Situations occur that... Uh, demand a decision? Are we going to stay, uh, stand or, or are we going to cave in? When hard times come or tragedy comes, do we cave in or do we get stronger? These disciples are about to witness a wonderful event. And when they do, it will cause their faith in Jesus to be even stronger. Verse 16 goes on and says, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So Thomas is kind of Mr. Negative. Now, you've heard the story of doubting Thomas, right? Well, this is him. He's set in his mind that going back that way, going back to where they, back into Judea is a stupid decision. And they're all going to wind up dead. Well, we never would get that kind of attitude, would we? <laughs> we, we would never doubt what the Lord is doing in our lives, would we? Yes, we would. And yes, we do. But they move on, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for, uh, excuse me, four days. Now, it's been said that back in the days of Jesus here, the, the Jews carried a superstition that stated that, that a person's soul stayed near their grave for three days. By Jesus waiting four days, this proved that superstition wrong. In other words, at this point, there would be no human hope of resuscitating Lazarus. Only Jesus could do something here. Verse 18. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha here expresses the frustration that all of us would feel in the face of this kind of tragedy. We say, where are you, Lord? Why did you let this happen? I don't comprehend this, Lord. Martha is just very open and honest here and is an example to us all that it's okay to take your feelings to Jesus. This was painful to Martha, 
And we are allowed to express the depths of our pain to our Lord and Savior because he understands. Martha goes on in verse 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So in the midst of her pain, she expresses her faith in Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You see, in the midst of our pain, the Lord desires that we would express our confidence in him. And oh, how difficult this must have been for Martha at this point. But she expresses her trust in the Lord. In verse 28, And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. So verse 20 tells us that Martha went out to meet Jesus as soon as she heard he was near. But it seems that Mary didn't know because she remained sitting in the house. But as soon as Mary heard that Jesus was nearby and asking for her, she ran out to meet him as well. And it's interesting here that Martha and Mary are surrounded by people that are there to comfort and to console them. But you know, there is none like Jesus. There is no one that can offer the kind of comfort that Jesus offers to us. In this situation here, he was there in person. But you and I today, we don't have Jesus here in the flesh. But he has made a provision for us to have his comfort while he is away. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. So just up a few chapters, and we'll be studying this probably in a few weeks, but John chapter 14, and we're going to look uh, at, at verse 16, okay? It's Jesus speaking here, and if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, the words will be in red, where Jesus is speaking, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Now, in the Greek language, the word helper here in verse 16 is the word parakletos, and it means comforter. And it speaks of the Holy Spirit who leads us to a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth and gives us divine strength that we need for us to be able to get through this life while we await the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you. Because you see, Jesus was, was going to be going away. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. Jesus tells him what he's speaking about here. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Now, why does it say there that the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth? Well, the Holy Spirit only indwells or comes inside of those that are born again through believing in Jesus Christ. You see, an atheist could care less about the Holy Spirit. Someone that has not surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ does not want or need the power to fight against the things of this world because they're all about the things of this world. They're going with the flow of this world. But when someone turns their life over to Jesus Christ, a true follower of Jesus Christ is swimming against the stream. And think about it. What's easier, to go tubing down a river, just relaxed, sitting on, going with the flow, or to climb a mountain? You see, you don't need strength to tube down a river, but you sure do need strength to climb a mountain. So Jesus promised to give us the strength we need to live this life as a follower of his when we're going against the flow of the rest of the world. We're we're walking by faith, not by sight. The rest of the world is walking by sight and not by faith. Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. You see, the day a person places their faith or places their their lives into the hands of the Savior, on that day, their eyes are open to know the Father God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and His presence within them by the Holy Spirit. And back in John chapter 11, even though Martha and Mary were surrounded by comforters, The real comfort they needed during this tragic time is the comfort that Jesus could give them. I minister with grieving people from time to time. And and as I do, I know there's only so much I can give them, so much comfort I can give them. But I hope my prayer for them is always that the Holy Spirit will comfort them because that's what they need. They need that that peace inside, that comfort inside, their hope to be restored. And that's something that we, uh, as, as men and women, cannot do for each other. Only Jesus can do that. Verse 30, back in John chapter 11, verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were Uh, with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? Martha said the same thing, didn't she, back in verse 21. You see, all of us feel this way when death strikes our family. Why, God? Why? Where are you? What is the reason for this? We don't understand this. But you know, in the very beginning, death wasn't God's choice. Death was the choice 
of mankind. It is recorded in the word of God that in the beginning of time, as we now know it, God, who is the purest definition of love, loved his children so much that he put them in a place. But he also, when you go back to to read in Genesis of the Garden of Eden, he gave them a choice. Let's go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis is the first book in your Bible. And uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. Go ahead and keep your page marked back there in John chapter 11 because we'll be flipping back to it. Genesis 2, and we're going to read verses 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God gave them a choice. And what was their choice? Turn up to chapter 3. Chapter 3, and let's start in verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So they bought the lie. That's what happened. They bought the lie, and as a result, death entered the world. Sin came into the picture, and man was no longer afforded eternal life. Today, our physical bodies age and degenerate, but the good news is is that God loved the world so much that he gave us another chance. He gave us one final chance for eternal life, and he did it by himself becoming flesh and paying the price for our redemption and going to the cross. He then rose again and ascended into heaven where he said he was going to prepare a place for us. And let me ask you something. Where would you rather spend eternal life? Here, where there is sin and death and destruction, or in heaven, where there is no more pain and death and all of our tears are wiped away. We're walking on streets of gold. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him, the Bible says. So life on this earth is not eternal. We're all, we're all pointed to die. But eternal life in a better place awaits those that have placed their lives into the hands of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And turning back to John chapter 11, 
Again, we see that Jesus is every bit God and every bit man, like we've studied. He knows phileo love, and he is agape love. And verse 33 says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You see, Jesus is the epitome of compassion. When you hurt as a result of this fallen world where we live, He hurts for you. God understands our pain and suffering because He became one of us. He became flesh. Verse 34, And Jesus said, or and He said, Where have you laid Him? They said to Him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Verse 35, Verse 35 there, as you may already know, is the shortest verse in the Bible. But it displays in a very big way the powerful fact that Jesus has compassion for our pain and suffering. Jesus wept. He wept in such a way that it caused the Jews that were standing there to say in verse 36, See how he phileo him. See how he loved him. That's the word used there for love, phileo. This was a deep and a strong kind of brotherly love that Jesus showed for Lazarus and for Martha and Mary. It was a compassion-filled kind of love. And compassion is, is best described as love in action. And that is what Jesus was and is. Jesus said in John 16, 33, that in this world we will have tribulation. You see, none of us are immune to pain and suffering. In these bodies, we will experience sickness and we will see and personally know death at some point in time. But we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us and in us. And as I've already stated, the day we give our lives over to God is the day that we find peace and comfort that is a result of the Holy Spirit coming within us. The world that has not placed their faith in Jesus, will say things like we see here in verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And you know, I believe the answer to this question is yes, he could have. But looking back at verse 15, we see that Jesus said, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. You see, that's the reason Jesus didn't stop the death of Lazarus. He wanted people to come to the place of knowing him and his presence. Today, though the death of a loved one is tragic, our Savior desires to be with us through it. When you weep, he weeps. And again, the good news is that we are not alone. Because the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is helping us through this life as believers in Jesus. We know the presence of the Lord today by His Holy Spirit that indwells us. Let's pray. Father, God in heaven, we thank you again for your great love in which you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. That we have a hope of eternal life because of Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you. 
for your faithfulness, for your obedience. You are obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And we thank you that you rose again to eternal life. And you went and you prepared a place for us. And we will pass from this life to eternal life with you by simply placing our faith in and our trust in and believing in you. We love you, Jesus, because as your word says, you first loved us. We thank you for that unconditional love that we don't deserve, but we so need. Thank you for the truth of your word. I pray for each and every person that is listening, that they will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you, and that they will understand the truth of who you really are, Jesus. And we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, guys and girls. Thanks for listening.